I want to start out with a with a simple scripture reading out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. Verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. These are two verses with a ton of weight. To walk in the Lord Jesus, to be established and matured, especially if we look again, as I said, as we look back, it's the end of a year. To mature yearly with a thankful heart, with a grateful and a thankful heart. And uh, we might wonder, what, what does it mean to be established in the faith? To be established in the faith. What, what does it mean to us? And I know it's probably mostly up to us. Again, it's up to us to our walk of obedience. It's up to us as much as we give to the Lord. It's how much we attention we give to the Lord. Because the Lord is faithful. Time is continuing. Things are continuing to happen on a, on a very similar pace. Everything is continuing as He has created Him. <clears throat> In our... Last year we saw, we, as, we, as we lived through another year, we experienced what all life has to offer. We saw that new life came into the world. We saw babies being born. One of the biggest blessings that we can, can have. We experienced couples getting married. We experienced parents starting a family. We also experienced couples being parted through that. We experienced the Lord mending broken homes. And we also experienced more of the Lord's faithfulness in lives being saved. Being uh, saved from the wrath that is to come. We had people giving their lives to Him in baptism. We saw healings, we saw redemptive work. The Lord is faithful. When we look back, we see the faithfulness of God over and over again. And I'm not saying now is the only time where we should be thankful and look back to see the Lord's faithfulness. It's like any other day. But at the end of a year, we get this, this sobering reality it's like on a birthday that another year has passed and we can visibly see the number went up. It does never goes down. It went up. And it's, it's a time where we're just compelled to examine our past. And it's not only just maybe examine our last year, but it's also where our journey has taken us. All of us sitting here can look back. 
I don't know, if you're in 20s, 30s, 40s, into a granny. <laughs> Can look back 20, 30 years. Where has my journey taken me? I look at especially at our church. I want to speak to the church, especially this morning. As we, as we have so many decisions that we make are a lot of times to us, maybe not to other people, but they're trailblazing. And just that idea puts a sense of prudence or maybe a godly fear knowing we play such a vital part in intentionally shaping our next generation, not only our future, but our next generation. Parents of today and churches of today shape one or two generations, maybe three. And we should never take our, these, these, change, these choices lightly that we make as a believer. Who we're going to be, where we're going to go. We shape generations. December or, or Christmas here in Eltona and our church gives us a good glimpse of choices and values. So many choices and so many roads have started here in such a short time. And I have often wondered where all these paths will lead. And maybe it's, it's still not clear today. It's not clear what our choices as a church, what fruit they will bring. Many choices are obvious. They're demonstrated on a daily basis already. There's good, good fruit, there's bad fruit. They're evident in our lives. Some are not yet. Time usually speaks clearly on our choices. See, I see choices are like seeds. Time is the soil and destiny in our children, our fruit. And when we, when we embrace the word of God and we make choices in our life, we always have to remember that there's a time of harvest. There's a time of harvest. We've, given, we've been given this one, one chance, and then we harvest. So I want to speak on that this morning and hopefully bring encouragement in investing more time, hopefully, into his body which is the church, invest time into people, which is an eternal investment. So I know we all had <clears throat> Christmas with friends and family, and my heart this morning is not so much to warn about getting lost in material snacks or anything like that, but rather, as I said, making choices with eternity in mind. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus said something about link up treasures. And just taking the whole context of these verses gives us a, a understanding that is not talking about tangible or materialistic treasures. 
So Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where mud and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So yes, in one sense, he is saying, don't let that be your heart. Riches and um, and seeing what, how much, maybe how much money you can make, how much stuff you can get, or just this materialistic mindset. But he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither mud nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what is the treasure that we can gather that has an eternal value? What is it? Where mud nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And he goes on to say, and where that treasure is, there will your heart be also. I mean, treasure. We can, we can speak a long time here about the treasure. And the treasure may differ according to our gifts, according to what we bring to the body of Christ. But we know for sure it is not materialistic. It is something far more valuable. It is something that brings a value into eternity. It is souls. It is relationships. It is building the kingdom of God. It is being devoted to Christ. It is something that we walk that we hold on to when we stand before Christ, even though we will not prob probably not realize it. But here is the thing. Today, it is evident what our treasures are. And all of us know where our treasures are. It's what makes us excited. It's what brings a smile on our face. It's what grabs our attention. This is our heart. This is who we actually are. If a car makes me excited, that's where my treasure is. If work makes me excited, that's where my treasure is. If money makes me excited, that's where my treasure is. If the church of God makes me excited, that's where my heart is. If Christ makes me excited, that is where my treasure is, my heart is. We've been given the opportunity to look and examine where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's simple logic. Jesus has given us simple logic here. And we know that on the resurrection morning, when Christ returns, we will not be approaching him with a bunch of riches and cars and pickups and phones and, uh, and money. It will not be part of the, the treasure that we're bringing. He is strongly encouraging us and commending us to be gathering and focus on the eternal, to lay up treasures in heaven 
where me neither mod nor rust does corrupt. So as we establish, as we are established in the faith, there are things that are dear to our hearts and they change into more kingdom minded and endeavors. It's all part of maturing in the faith. It's like a child and an adult. We give all give something to our children this Christmas. And they were excited. But if you give that something to an adult, <laughs> they probably look at you and ask you, what's wrong with you? And when we come to Christ, when we experience the forgiveness, the newness of life, there's this joy, this innocent childish joy that is overwhelming. Because for the first time we experience freedom, we experience forgiveness, we experience newness of life, we experience a new beginning with a, with a full concept, not as a little child, but as an adult, or maybe sometimes even as an older child. And that joy and that, that treasure only grows as we're getting these treasures from joy it matures into giving, into comfort, into the gifts that the Lord is giving us. And we, and we, and we, and we gather these treasures and we expand them and we, and we invest them into other people's lives. Interests and passions change if there's a normal maturity. An older believer who still gets excited over frivolous activities, obviously is not maturing in Christ. Or we're deceived. It's impossible. It's impossible to gain of the heavenly gift of the treasures of God and not see it mature. See, at one point, as an adult looks at a childish temporal gift as silliness, but not condemning it because it's a child. So a believer will look down at frivolous activities, at things that the world has to offer and see it as silliness and as a waste. Buying me cotton candy for Christmas will be a waste of money for you, or I don't know, whatever. It just is. And, and so is our maturity in Christ. So it does come with a lot of um, obedience. It comes with discipleship. And even though there's a strange mindset today that knowledge is the measure of Christian maturity. And this is why we see a lot of times a conflict in, our, in, a, in a profession and an action. Because knowledge is mistaken as Christian maturity. Now, knowledge is important. But I believe the ultimate maturity 
is to lay down our life for Christ and the body of Christ. The author and the finish of our faith, the biggest example that he left was that he laid down his life for the brethren. This is maturity. Knowledge puffs up. Yet knowledge in his right place is very, very important. But it's not a sign of maturity. Jesus made some interesting statements in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. 17, 20 and 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So there is this miraculous, miraculous happening going on in our hearts that signifies that the kingdom of God is near us. Now the question is, what is that happening? What is it? Is it a mental aspiration? that I believe points A, B, and C. Uh, I think I'm good. Or is there something happening with this man when he speaks about the heart, this man, where your treasure is there will your heart be also. What is happening? For the kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. It's this miraculous giving and surrendering our lives to Christ, being lived out in a way where our brothers and sisters are the recipients of that and where Christ is being glorified. And he continued to clarify to the disciples in verses 22 and 24. He talked to them about the days of the Son of Man. I mean, we see people get excited over this or that, this new teaching or this man. This man does this miracle. This movement is over there. But he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. See, we believe that the kingdom of God was ushered in with Jesus when he was resurrected and ascended. He gave the keys to the church, and ever since, through the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has been established here on earth. Christ is establishing his throne, starting in our hearts and expanding to our local bodies, to the surrounding. Now the kingdom of God is expanding through us, and it can only be determined and measured by our acts of obedience. By our acts of obedience. This is a depiction of what was prophesied in the book of Daniel. When God showed it to Daniel in a dream, Daniel 2. And, and after the king was troubled and couldn't find peace with his dream, he called the magicians and whoever. And finally Daniel came to him and said in verse 31, You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. 
This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image had was a fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and high thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out with hands which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer treasuring floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now down in verse 44, he said to Daniel, uh, he said, Daniel 2.44, And in, those, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And I believe that this kingdom has started, just as he said, it shall not be left to other people. It can only function, it can only function, if we are under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as is when we are part of that kingdom of none other allegiance, he will not give it to other people, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to those that come and give their life wholeheartedly to him. And this is the privilege that we have. And I believe, anyways, I am, I am taking this privilege for granted. To be part of the eternal kingdom of Jesus. It's, it's an eternal kingdom. It has started. He has given us keys to, the, to his church, to God's people. And we come together as churches, wherever they may be. And he's given us a key to reign what we've what is given us here in this earth to do to build his kingdom and to get ready for the time when he will return now we have to ask ourselves how am i doing what am i doing in that for that it's a privilege it's an eternal kingdom the the angel gabriel said to mary in luke 1 he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This, to me, is such an amazing promise that the angel of God would come to a virgin and give him this promise of a Christ child to become flesh, to start a kingdom 2,000 years ago that has no end, and we can be part of it. And he is our king. And we will not do it with having our treasure somewhere else. We will not do it with having our allegiance somewhere else. But we can. The opportunity is there. It, it might look like an earthly kingdom or it might not look like an earthly kingdom like the rest of the nations in the world, but it's a kingdom. In fact, it's completely different. As Jesus said, we are in the world, but not of the world. 
On the other hand, the kingdom of God is not spiritual and just a mental aspiration, but it's an everyday reality. It's everyday life. It's everyday giving ourselves to the king. It is a daily practical selfless serving with a love-filled obedience. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. When is the last time you thought about that? It does change perspective if it's real in our life. So here we are. We have been given this one change in eternity to live a life that is meaningful and fruitful for Christ. And how are we doing? One year is coming to an end and we're entering another one. We're entering with blessings. We're entering most likely with baggage. We're entering a new year. And when we're talking about maturing in Christ, what are the things that are endearing to us? When all is still, when I'm meditating, when I close my eyes at night, where does my mind go to? What is endearing to us? Is it, is it at this point that is the life that I'm living in obedience, that wondering what will Christ do next? Or is it something totally off the subject? How am I going into the new year? Is it in us seeing every opportunity to further the kingdom of God and prepare for his return or being watchful and wait. Some of us here will probably never see his return. Maybe all of us. It could be that we'll go naturally. It could be to, we won't make it out this day. But he will return. So one, one of the blessings or a few of the blessings of contributing to the body of Christ, especially to a church, is to support and celebrate the workings and miracles of God. Part of reaching and having a vision for God's work here on earth is rejoicing and celebration of his doing and it's being supportive and and. Even being supportive of it and, and praying about it gives us an inclusion uh, that we're part of it. And as I mentioned before, one of the things I was moved and touched by this year on the Christmas story is the humanity part of that whole story. Just the, the human part of it. See, we, we, we tend to make it spiritual. And we say, yeah, well, Jesus was God. And um, they're more special people. No. Jesus was flesh. He was in all things tempted as we are. 
He cried in that crib just as you, we did when we were children, babies, as our babies do. He was cold, he was warm, he cried, he suffered, he was hurt, he was rejected. All these feelings and emotions affected him just as they do us. And then there were these, these people that were obedient to God and let it happen from his parents to the apostles, humans. And it goes to show that sometimes we may feel hopeless at times. We may feel, no, I can't do it. Or, no, it's not me. No, and I'm not the person. I'm not the person to do this. I'm not the person to bring this. I'm not the person to minister to this person, to this need. It has always been that God used people like you and me to minister. And it's amazing and, and miraculous. Just like that whole salvation story. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming that, that God can use just us humans through the power of his Holy Spirit. Just as it's overwhelming to think that we are saved by God coming to earth, suffering and dying for us. It is an amazing humility that he took on human flesh and was in all things as we are. From emotion, like I said, to hurts, to joy, just as we are today. Not only that, but that, as I said, people, the people in his life, like you and me, were obedient. And he used them. They were people who submitted themselves to the will of God. They were focused on what the Lord had put into their lives. They were not a special race with extraordinary abilities. We come to Christ just like today and just like it was back then. We come to Christ. We repent. We rejoice in salvation. And then we come to the King, our Savior, with the attitude, how can I be a blessing today? What do you need from me? Lord, here am I. Not, is, not what is it in it for me? Where are my rights? We look at, at, the, at, the, at the king whom has suffered, who has died, who has given his life, and we become like him. How can I be a blessing? What can I give? As I prepare for eternity, what do you have for me, Lord? What do you need from me? It's not this ticket to live the way you want to live. Salvation. That's not that ticket. But rather a license to be part, to be, have this privilege to be part of an everlasting kingdom. There's a story of a young man who was eager to grow in his Christian life. He got a piece of paper and made a list of all the things he would do for God. He wrote down the things he would give up, the place he would go to minister. In the area, areas of ministry he would enter, he was excited. He took that list to the church, put it on the altar. He thought it would feel joy. But instead he felt empty. So he went home and started adding to this list. He wrote down more things he could do and wouldn't do. He took the longer list and put it on the altar, but still he felt nothing. 
He went to a wise old pastor, told him the situation, asked for help. The pastor said, take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, put that on the altar. The young man did, and then peace came to his heart. Now, this is not saying, I don't want to do anything. This is saying, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Let's just be still. Then we sing that song, be still my soul, be still and hear and listen and be ready and be attentive. Here am I, Lord, where and what do you want me to go to do? And we come to Christ with an attitude. We all do. We're human. What is that you want? What is it? What is in it for me? Instead of what is it that you want of me? And here's the thing. It's not that we don't know. Most of the time, he is faithful and we know. But it's in our heart and attitude that makes a difference. I sometimes... Uh, And myself, when I say, Lord, show me your will. When I know in my heart, I know what the will is. I need to submit my heart to it. And that, that takes refinement. That takes surrender. That takes a life that is dedicated for the cause, for the vision. So now as we start a new year, what are our goals and our endeavors in Christ? Well, let me start out with this. I hope I don't disappoint you, but it's not pompous. It's not self-ambition driven. It's uh, not self-promoting. It's not cloaked in false humility, but rather it's a painful stripping of self from all rights and claims to surrender to the King of Kings. Where do I get that? From Jesus in Luke 9, 23, 27. And he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if against the whole world and himself destroys or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste that till they see the kingdom of God. And he basically told them, you will experience that in your lifetime. This calling, this mandate, you will see it. You will deny yourself and you will live that kingdom life. And the apostles, they saw it. And he basically told them, it's coming. God in his wisdom uses this concept. He uses this concept to refine and to purify us. I know we are a lot of times of a people that are itching to do something. 
And uh, I think most of the time it's us that are the holder. Because God cannot use us until he's done his work in us. When, um, when Malachi prophesied about Jesus in his third chapter, he had an unusual emphasis in, in these first three verses. He was talking about the purifying work of Christ. And it's, it's not a common emphasis. We like to look at the forgiveness, at the redemption, at the new life that he's bringing. But Malachi focused in on refinement, purifying and refinement. And I believe if only the church could understand how God desires to refine and purify us, then a lot of circumstances in our life would make sense to us. He created us in his image to be like him. I'm going to read in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's the messenger of the covenant, the man player, he is coming, in whom you delight. But he goes on with a question. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This is so powerful. So many times you want to offer, 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 offer. But have we said where the refiner of silver, of silver and gold, has and let him sit and glance at us? And purify us so that we may offer an offering of righteousness. There's a story from the 1800s where there was a group of women who went to study the Bible. And they were puzzled by the words in Malachi 3.3. And he shall sit, like he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And one of them promised to call on a silversmith and report to them what he said on the subjects. She went accordingly without telling the subject of her errand back to know the process of refining silver, which he fully described to her. But sir, said she, do you sit while the work of refining is going on? Like, do you sit all the time and keep watching? He said, oh, yes, madam. I must sit with my eye steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver is sure to be injured. 
And at once she saw the beauty and comfort of the expression, he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Christ sees it needful to put his children into the furnace, but he is seated by the side of it. His eyes are steadily intent on the working of purifying, and his wisdom and love are both engaged in the best manner for his children. These trials do not come at random. As the lady was leaving the shop, the silversmith called her back and said, he had still further to mention that he only knew when the process of purifying was complete by seeing his own image reflecting in the silver. When Christ's image is reflected in us, his work of purifying is accomplished. Wow. May we allow that purifying work in our life. When Christ himself sees his image in us, not approval from other people, not, no, when Christ sees his image in us. So in closing, as we are entering into a new year, may we see and recognize that very refining power of God in our lives. And may we allow him to refine and purify us so that the reflection of Jesus is in our lives every day. We have, we have to see a picture that is bigger than ourselves. We have to see the working of Christ in our midst here in this earth. We have to have an eternal mindset. Otherwise, we lose heart, we lose focus. I'm going to close with one Bible reading here. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 13. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vets will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom the man who gains understanding. Amen. May we see a, a glimpse of how the Lord, how God through the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And even, even in the church here, that there is a that there's a working in a place where the Holy Spirit uses and works and refines and purifies us for His glory. So may that bring light, may that give us uh, an encouragement and hope for the new year. And the Lord bless you and uh, may He continue to do His work.